Hi, this is Jillian Walker, and you're listening to week seven of the Falls Creek podcast. The speaker this week was Wade Morris. How's it going, Falls Creek? Good? Hey, I know that uh, Matt doesn't like this because he only wants to focus on Jesus, and I appreciate that, and it is on Jesus, but can we give them a hand for leading us in worship tonight? Like, seriously, thank you for doing what you do, bro. Thank you for doing what you do, and uh, listen, it's been a great week so far, uh, and he was talking about God moving, and God has moved here. I know, at least in this room, and I know we see a lot of decisions outside of this room, but in this room, uh, there has been 244 recorded salvations, which is a beautiful thing so far, and the hope is, the hope is that we see even more. So, y'all excited about tonight, yeah? Let's do it. Let's do it. You got a Bible, say yeah. yeah. James chapter 1, let's go there. James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully somebody around you has one. They'd love for you to look at it with them. James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, they will put it up on the screen probably and you will see it. I will read it to you and it will all be good. James chapter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 18. Just to get into this so that you understand, I, I've told people for years uh, that uh, I've, I've run marathons. And when I say that, listen, I, a couple years ago, uh, I fractured my back. It's been a while since I've been able to get back where I need to be. But I remember the point where I got obsessed with marathon running. And when I say that, w- when you get to that place where you were training six days a week and you were doing it for four or five hours a day, it becomes something that is such an obsession that you all, all you do is talk about it. Doesn't matter what's happening, no matter who's around, you got to talk about it to the point to where I wanted people to feel what I felt when I crossed the finish line. In other words, it was such an exhilarating feeling because every time you run a marathon, you're at mile 23 and you're thinking, what in the world am I doing? I'm never doing this again. Then you get to mile 26.2, you cross that finish line, you say, I can't wait to run a marathon again. And so it was interesting because I had some of my friends and I know that not everybody can run 26.2 miles. I get it. But... Uh, most people, most people could run a 10K if I trained them, 6.2 miles. And so I remember telling a lot of my friends in town, I'm going to train you to do this. It's a big run in town. And I said, what's going to happen is you're going to cross the finish line. And even though it's not a marathon, you're going to get a piece of what I feel when I cross that finish line. And so we got ready. It was the Vulcan run in Birmingham and it was maybe 1,500 people. And as we walked out, they're kind of hyping us up, getting us super emotional. They're on your mark, get set. And I looked at everybody I trained and said this. It doesn't matter how fast you run this race. But it does matter that you finish this race. So all I'm saying is stick with it, and in the end, it's going to be okay. And that day I saw everybody I trained cross the finish line. And that was important for me because in one moment, I went from preacher Wade, which is like the world I live in, to coach Wade. It just felt good. But it was also a good day for me because I had my fastest 10K, 10K, I can't even talk, 10K time ever. The reason that's important is uh, my wife does scrapbooking stuff. And when you're in the big races, they put your name and time in the paper. And what she does is she, she tears it out and she puts it in a scrapbook, all of my races. And the reason that's important is that at some point I need my kids to look back and realize I was in shape at some point in my life. Does that make sense? I got up the next day. Birmingham News, and my name was not there, and it bothered me, to the point where I called the Birmingham News, said, y'all don't understand, my wife does scrapbooking stuff, and my name and time weren't there, they said it's not our fault, called the Birmingham Track Club, we just put the names 
that the Birmingham Track Club gave us. And I said, okay, so I'm a pretty thorough guy. I called the Birmingham Track Club. I said, y'all don't understand. My wife does scrapbooking stuff, and this is very important. And they go, listen, there's really nothing we can do. So just, just be okay with it. And it took me about three days, but I finally was okay. I should be okay going to bed knowing the time that I got, right? I mean, it doesn't always have to be in the paper. And I was good with that for about three days until I got a message. And my buddy who had to go out of town on business and couldn't run with us, he trained with us. But this is what he said. He said, hey, man, just want you to know that uh, I had to go out of town on business. You knew that, but I prayed for you guys. And I looked at the Birmingham News, and I saw how well you did, and I wanted to congratulate you. I thought, my wife put him up to this because she knows how psycho I've been for three days. It's like just nudge him a little bit, right? And I said, hey, bro, I know, that's funny. I know my name's not in the paper. He goes, no, it's in the paper. I said, bro, whatever, it's all good. Then he told me the time that I got. At that point, I had not told one person the time that I got. And I go, bro, where did you see that? He goes, dude, your name and time are in the paper. I said, dude, I've looked at it a hundred times. And I pulled out the paper, started to look through it. And as he can hear the like, you know, fumbling and the ruffling of the paper, he started to laugh on the other end of the line. And I said, what's so funny, bro? And he says, hey, man, if you look real closely at the Birmingham News, you're going to see that Wade Morris was the sixth fastest female in that entire race. So when you see these things in the paper, the male runners are here, female runners, and for whatever reason, I was looking at the male-like column, and then I thought to myself, that's just awesome, right? So now my kids are going to look back and realize I was in shape and possibly a woman at some point in my life, right? <laughs> it's interesting, but because it was that moment that I figured out things don't always work out the way you want them to. A lot of times we have goals, or a lot of times... We know the destination, and we even know how to get there, but sometimes things don't just work out. If you ever read the book of James, and actually further than that, if you study the book of James, you'll find out that's what's happening to these people. James wrote this letter to who he called the scattered Christian Jews. In other words, what was happening is you had people that grew up in Jewish heritage, and just like us, a few of them said, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And because they said that, they were being persecuted. Kids being kicked out of schools, women and men kicked out of social circles, men losing their jobs. And what happened was they scattered among the region to actually search for answers. In other words, why in the world is this happening to us? So James decided to write a letter to them. And it was interesting because he kind of starts off and says, consider it pure joy, the trials and tribulations you go through. In other words, here's how he starts off the letter. I don't feel sorry for you one bit. He said, nobody told you this life was going to be simple, but for those who stick with it, character is going to come out of your life. Then all of a sudden, in the second half of chapter one, he starts to turn the tide, and he says some things that I believe would be a great launching pad for us. I want to show you this. James chapter one, starting in verse 18, he says, he chose, God chose, to give us birth through the word of truth or the word of God that we might kind of be a first, first fruits of all that he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. 
anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. It's interesting. Students, if you ever really read the Bible, you'll find out there's what I call famous verses throughout the Bible. Probably the most famous verse, John 3.16. The lost world knows John 3.16. Why? NFL football games, they stick it up on posters sometimes. But the idea is people know what that means. Whether they believe it or not. If you get into the book of James and really study it, even though people have different favorite verses... Probably the most famous verse in the book of James is James 1.22. Don't just be a hearer of the word, you need to be a doer of the word. And that verse, students, about 20 years ago became so famous that Nike made commercials off of it. Literally their entire theme, their entire slogan was what? Just do it. That was the idea. In other words, you don't have to practice it. You don't have to think about it. Just get on the field and just do it. Here's what happens. The church decided to borrow that theme back because it got so big. And I saw all these pastors and they were doing these sermon series called Just Do It. And here's the thing. They actually preached it correctly, but the church received it wrong. Because the idea that they heard was, if I just do enough stuff in the church, in the end I'm going to be okay. If I read the Bible enough, if I go on enough mission trips, if I'm good enough to people, then in the end, if I do all these things, I'm going to be a good Christian. Students, the problem with that mentality is when you look at the Bible, Christianity is never based off of what you do, it's based off of who you are. So there's got to be a point where you start to change that mentality around, and what happens is we took it wrong. If you take that chunk of scripture that I just read to you, most people would say the point of the scripture is James 1.22 in that passage. And actually, that's not the pinnacle that you should be looking at. The pinnacle or the really big piece of that is James 1.18. So I'm going to read that to you again and we're going to get into this. Here's what he said. He chose, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. In other words, here's what he's saying. You are birthed or you are saved by and through the word of God and you are a first fruits, here's the translation, and you live the Christian life by and through the word of God. So watch it. You're saved by God's word and through God's word. You live the Christian life by God's word and through God's word. And here's what you find out when you look at this closely. He's not talking about what you do. He's talking about the word. And church, I'm going to say this to you. I believe we've gotten to a point that for some people, the book that we are most underwhelmed with in the church is the Bible. Listen to me, students. No way you live the Christian life apart from God's word. 
The reason there's so much anxiety, the reason there's so much stuff going on inside and the emotions get all crazy is because you try to live the Christian life in your own power. You try to live the Christian life just by sayings that you've heard. And there's got to be a point to where you understand the only way you live the Christian life is to not only read God's Word, but memorize it, and then, and only then, do you have a chance to live it. And when I saw that, I thought, maybe that's a good progression for us. In other words, We've seen people saved. We're going to see even more people saved. But maybe tonight we can get back to the place where if nothing else happens tonight, we can leave this place and say there's nothing more important in my life as a Christian than God's word in my life. Because I believe if we start to understand that and live it, we might have a chance to come to a place of revival. So what does it mean? What do we got to do with that? If you're taking notes, I want you to write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, let's just progress through it. If you say, I am ready to be who God wants me to be, and I'm going to need to live out God's word for me, number one, you need to know how to receive it in your life. You need to know how to receive it in your life. And he gives what I call a process of doing that and an action in doing that. In verses 19 and 20, he says it like this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And that right there is the process for receiving God's word in your life. And actually, most of it is self-explanatory. Well, okay, I need to be quick to listen. Makes sense. You don't learn by talking, you learn by listening. Then he says you need to be slow to speak. Understand, when you study the book of James... Almost everything he talks about in James chapter 1 is a launching pad for the rest of the book. He goes into deeper, deeper mentality later on in the book with it. So when he says be slow to speak right here, you think about James 3, 1, where he says this. Be real careful the words that you say, the words that you teach, the words that you preach, because you will be judged doubly for those words. You know what I'm saying? Students, here's the deal. I want you to have fun in the Christian life, man. I do. But just remember, when you walk out these doors and when we are living this life, the words that you say and the life that you live, it, just, it doesn't just represent you and your family. It represents the God that you're claiming in your life in front of this world. He said, just think about it before you say it. Then he says, be slow to become angry. Most of us won't get this. And we shouldn't because we don't live in that world. But they were being persecuted for what they were believing. And here's what he is saying to them. Hey, guys. Be slow to become angry. I know you're upset. I know this is tough. But he said, in the end, if you're not careful, out of the abundance of the heart, that anger is going to come out of the mouth, and you're going to end up being a bad witness. So he gives a process for receiving God's word, but then he gives what I call an action to doing it, and this is where it gets interesting to me. He goes further and says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And here's the phrase. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's interesting. That's our action. Humbly accept the word planted in you, because it can save you. See, once again, we were talking about slowing down the other night and looking at what the scripture says. Don't just go past it really fast. Here's what I would say. A lot of us would go, oh, God's word can save me? Oh, I'm already saved, so let's go to the next verse. No, 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 let's stop for a second. When he says, humbly accept God's word planted in you because it can save you, in that moment, he's not talking about salvation from God, he's talking about salvation from you. 
He's saying God's word can save you from you if you humbly accept it and read it. And you go, what in the world are you talking about? Let me say it like this. I told you, uh, I didn't grow up in church. Most of you did. Just different ways to go about it, right? God saved us. But it's interesting to me because I see things and I react to things that are different than people that grow up in church. So let me ask you this question. You're going to help me out a little bit. How many of you have been a participant in or a worker in this phenomenon we call vacation Bible school? Anybody at all? Basically everybody in the room. Put your hands down. Let me say this to you. The first vacation Bible school I ever went to, I preached at. I'd never heard of it before. I mean, dude, I got saved at 13. I remember being in college. This guy calls me up and says, hey, man, do me a favor. We got like 300, like, first through fifth graders. Would love for you to come and preach to them. Could you come? I was like, bro, I'm in. Let's go. I got in front of these people. I was preaching. And when I got done, I didn't know what was going to happen because I'd never been to vacation Bible school. But they told me after the service, they're going to split the crowd. Half of them are going out to the playground. The other half are going into the classrooms. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to be a decent vacation Bible school pastor, I need to hang out with the students. And if I have a choice to be on the playground or the classroom, dude, I'm picking the playground. I'm just being honest. I went out on the playground, and I'm not kidding. I was out there for 32 seconds, and a nine-year-old boy licked me on the arm for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I look over, and this little kid's like, ha, 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 ha. I know it's going to sound very shallow to you, and maybe you can think I'm a shallow person, but I'm being dead serious when I say this. That moment, I knew I was not called to be a children's minister ever. You licking me is never an option. So I thought, before I get angry, I need to go into the classrooms and get off the playground. I went into the classrooms, and I saw something happen that it really threw me off. Now, for you, this is about to be normal, but you're going to help me with this in a second, right? Here's my question to you. Do they still bribe little kids to memorize scripture in vacation Bible school? Okay, listen, 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 listen. It was the weirdest thing I ever saw. I remember walking into a classroom, and this little girl walks up to a teacher, and she goes, teacher, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so hungry. Is there any way I could get a cookie? And I'll still never forget. Little lady looks at her and goes, well, I don't know. Have you memorized your scripture? I'm looking at her thinking, well, that's a weird response. She, she's like, Tim, give her a cookie. And the little girl goes, uh-uh, and I promise you, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. She goes, well, you can't have anything to eat until you memorize your scripture. I was looking at that going, okie dokie. But that church had a way of doing it, just like you understand. There was a little table. There was a Bible on it. Little girl goes over there. She studies. She comes back. She quotes a scripture. Lady goes, here's a cookie. Enjoy. I thought, that was weird. I went into the next classroom, and it was like watching a bad sequel of a movie. Little boy came off the playground, was sweating to death. No, not the boy that licked me. And he looks at this teacher and goes, teacher, I'm so thirsty. Can I have something to drink? She goes, well, I don't know. Have you memorized your scripture? In my mind, I'm thinking, he's dehydrating before your very eyes. I mean, give the kids some Kool-Aid for crying out loud. He goes, uh-uh. You can't have anything to drink till you memorize your, I was like, this is not happening. But the little kid did the same thing the girl did, because they knew what to do, right? He goes over, looks, came back, Jesus wept. Here's your water, enjoy. I remember driving back to my college campus, and I'm being serious, I was thinking to myself, 
I'm not sure how ethical it is to bribe somebody to memorize scripture, but I'm saying that to you and trying to be fun with it for this reason. Here's my question, and I don't even want you to react. I wonder how many of you, since it seems you all went to Vacation Bible School, I wonder how many of you still have all of those scriptures memorized you were bribed to memorize when you were like eight years old. Now here's the deal. I'm looking at you right there. I said don't react. Everybody's going, no, I do not. This is what I would say to you. I bet you do. And I know you would come back at me and say, Wade, you don't know me very well. I promise I don't know those scriptures. And I would come back and say this. I'm well aware that most of you don't remember that that passage was Philippians 4.13. I know that. I also know that some of you don't even know if it's Old Testament or New Testament. But here's what I do know. Because I've experienced it just like you. In life, we all walk up to a line called sin. And when we get there, we all have the same option. Say yes to it or say no to it. And there is a battle that happens in our mind and in our soul. You start hearing voices from your past. I'm being dead serious. You get there because you don't know if you need to do it. You hear your mama, don't do it. You hear a preacher from the past, you're going to hell if you do it. But let's just say one day, for fun, one day you got there and this was the battle you had. I know this is wrong. I can't define where it's at. I don't know if it's Malachi. I don't know if it's Galatians. I don't know if it's 1 Corinthians. I'm not sure if it's Jonah. But I do know this. I do know that the Bible says this is wrong. And let's just say that day you were mature enough to say, I'm going to say no. And you turned and walked away from it. Students, here's the deal. God's word just saved you from you. Because in case you don't know it, let me define it for you like this. You and me will say yes to sin every single time. The only option that we have to say no to sin is to know what the Bible says about it. And here's what the Bible is saying. If you humbly accept God's word, if you humbly read God's word, if you humbly memorize God's word, if you humbly study God's word, students, here's the key. Why do you do it? God, I want to know you, but here's also why you do it. Because one day God's word might just save you from you. How you receive it makes all the difference in the world. But then he goes further and says it's not just how you receive it, but then you go further and you got to know how do you react to it. And in other words, there's a lot of people who hear sermons, a whole bunch of people here listening to a sermon. The key is not what you heard. The key is what are you going to do about it when you do read it and hear it. And by the way, that's what James 1.22 is. Don't just be a hearer of the word. You need to be a doer of the word. Don't just listen to it. You need to do it. And can I just say this? If you live your Christian life that way, you will be deeper than you probably ever have been in your Christian life. And you say, well, what do you mean? We live in a day, especially with college students, that I hear the phrase all the time, Wade, I want to get deep. Wade, you're not getting deep enough. The worship isn't deep enough. It's not, I want to get deep. It's kind of interesting to me. Because we're trying to get so deep that we've forgotten that in Christian life, it's the basics that make all the difference in the world. 
In other words, I would say it to you like this. My wife truly is one of the godliest people you'll ever meet in your life. And it's interesting to me because this is the way she lives her Christian life. If the Bible says do it, she does it. If it says don't do it, she doesn't do it. And that's it. Here's what's interesting about that. I'm the guy that wants to be deep. I went to seminary. Can I just be honest and not even put down my wife? I'm being honest. I know more about the Bible than my wife because I've studied it longer and I've got a degree in it. I've read philosophies about the Bible that my wife has never even heard of. But here's what's interesting. But my wife is the godliest person I've ever met. Hmm. And how does she live her life? If the Bible says do it, she does it. If it says don't do it, she doesn't do it. There is a simplicity there that will take you deeper than you've ever been if you allow it. And you say, what do you mean? I remember being at a youth camp one time, maybe a decade ago, and there's maybe 500 students in the room. And my wife came in midway through the week, like on a Wednesday. Man, the youth and I, we, we were already in the groove, right? God's moved. We are seeing each other. We know what's going on. We're doing it. And it was interesting because I don't even know why I did it. I asked the question while I was there in the middle of my sermon. I said, hey, let me ask you all a question. Being serious. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And of course I've cheated on a test in the last year at school. You would have thought I was a comedian in that moment. They were like, like one dude goes twice there were people going same test Woo! they were high-fiving each other like they didn't know what it was like they were just getting close all in one moment I'm watching that and I knew they were just trying to be funny but I'm being serious for whatever reason I looked down and I saw my wife on the front row and she had this look of horror on her face like are you being serious and I didn't want her to think bad about the students. So I said, oh, okay, listen. Oh. Hey, let me ask it in another way. How many of you would say this? I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says about stealing, which is cheating. And because I know what the Bible says about that and integrity, no. Because of that, I haven't cheated on a test. And dude, listen to me. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. To the point to where I went, no, let me ask it again. Pin drop. Could somebody just lie and say that was you? And then all of a sudden, everybody in the room, there was a little bit of commotion. And I'm kind of looking, like, what? And there was this one little girl, like on the third row, sitting right there. And she was doing this. One. And I look over at her and I go, is your hand up? She goes, I go, oh, okay. I go, can I ask it in another way? Because I don't, I don't, I'm not asking, have you, do you not cheat because you're smarter than everybody? Is the reason you don't cheat, you know what the Bible says, and you're choosing to live what the Bible says. She goes, yeah. And I go, could you do me a favor and put your hand up? And she goes. I go, do, do me a favor, put your hand up. She goes. And in that moment. This was my question, and I'd love to ask y'all the same question. When is it in the church that it became funny to sin and it be shameful to have integrity? When did that happen? 
Like I'm sitting there looking at them. Yeah, man, I see him. This is awesome. And I see one girl that's standing up in integrity, and she's scared to death to raise her hand. Seriously? So there's got to be a point to where we get a depth in our lives. Seriously. To where we know how to do this. And we got to make a choice to live this. He says something interesting. He says this. Don't just mean to listen to the word. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he twists the whole conversation and he says this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And by the way, he is the only one who gets blessed in what he does. And we don't understand that. You say, what do you mean? Dude, I don't know if you know this, but if you don't, let me tell you this. We've got preachers today that are more famous than rock stars. We've got preachers today that are more famous than movie stars. I'm not jealous of them. I'm just trying to say this. If I read my Bible correctly, if you preach truth, people will hate you for it. And it's interesting to me because I've been to some of their churches. The pastors are not all bad people, but I'm going to tell you what's interesting. Boy, if you listen to the people, they're like, oh, wait, you don't understand. My pastor, whoa, he's got a connection with God like you've never seen. My pastor, dude, he is deep. Boy, when he says things, boy, we know he's blessed by it. Because let me tell you something. Boy, he's got those words that he says. I walk out amazed at what he's saying. Man, Wade, here is the deal. Today, our pastor is the deepest pastor on earth. Can I just say something to y'all real quick? And I, I don't want you to get mad at me. I'm just going to just be completely honest with you. I've been traveling the country and the world for 20 years, preaching in some of the greatest churches in the world. Can I just say something? Here's what I figured out. Pastors today are no deeper than they've ever been. Churches are just more shallow. They just are. Churches today are okay with going, uh, Pastor, I'll just trust you that that's what it means. That's not the way this works, students. You sit back and you're in awe of your pastor. And by the way, I'm fine with you. He's your shepherd. He should have a word from God. But do you want to know why your pastor seems to have this word all the time? Because he humbly read God's word. He humbly studied God's word. He humbly measured his life against God's word. And it's weird. You want to know why he's blessed by it and you're not. If you want to get to a place of true depth, it's not only about clapping your pastor on, it's about you listening to him, clapping for him, and you walk out of that room. You open your Bible, and you read it, and you study it, because here's the deal, students. This is not God's word to me to give to you. It's God's word to you. And when you start to understand that, you realize there is a connection with God that you have. If I'm willing to respond to God's word away, if the Bible says do it, I'm going to do it. If it says don't do it, I'm not going to do it, I promise you'll be better off in your Christian life if you do that right there. It's not just about how you receive it. It's not just about how you react to it. But here's the last thing. It's also how you respond to it that makes a difference as well. Verses 26 and 27, quickly, he says this. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue... He deceives himself and his religion that worthless is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep but oneself by being polluted by the world. Look at what he's saying. One of the most cutthroat things I've ever heard. 
If anyone considers himself a religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, his religion is worthless. I mean, James, his title is the head of the Jerusalem council. Here's what that means. He's the pastor of the Jewish Christian church. He's looking at these people and he's saying this, um, what you're doing right now, worthless. What you're living out, worthless. I mean, imagine me telling, worthless, it's not the way it works. But he's saying this to them to get their attention because he's saying there's gotta be a point where all this comes together. Students, if you read church history, here's what was happening. These people, when they were scattering among the region, were looking for answers, and they started doing religious ceremonies to make themselves feel better. That's why he says to you, those who consider themselves religious. They started to act out religious ceremonies that they did when they were children. That's why he said, if, if anyone considers themselves religious, but here's the deal. It's because they were going through such a tough time. Anytime you go through a rough time in your life, you go back to what we call the good old days. You think about when it was good. Have you ever, girls, have you ever walked in and seen your mom watching old videos of you when you were a little bitty kid and she's crying? Here's the answer. Here's what she's thinking. We used to love each other. That was when we were friends. And you know what's happening? She's going back to the good old days and looking at that, trying to feel better, and watch me. Here's what James is saying. You people are acting out Christian ceremonies, and those things are good, but you're not keeping a tight rein on your tongue. Here's what he's saying. What you're claiming is not what you're living. And he says, if that's the way you live your life, that religion is worthless. Hey, students, we live in a day where everybody wants to claim, especially in the South, Christianity. When I go to churches, it's funny to me because people will put me aside. I don't even know why they do it. Hey, wait, this is my family. This is my wife, my two daughters. Hey, by the way, we're Christians. You might not get that. I get that. It's one of the most random things ever. Hey, by the way, here's my daughter. She's a student. She's a Christian. And here's what I'm thinking all the time. You never need to tell me you're a Christian. I'll know it. Not by what you say. Because here's what I figured out in life. What you claim is not actually what you believe. What you live out is actually what you believe. That's just the truth. In other words, I say to men all the time, and I know nobody's perfect, but I say, bro, you never need to tell me you're a Christian. You know how I know the men in this room are Christians? By how they treat their wife. Students, I know when you're a Christian, I, I can tell it every time, by how you treat your parents. Because you can't sit around and claim one thing and the Bible say the opposite and you say everything's okay. Because students, here is the idea of what James is trying to say. The purpose of all of this and the life that we live is there needs to be a day of true depth in your life where what you claim matches how you live. And by the way, when the two of those things come together, it is a beautiful marriage. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, and that is my prayer for you. That you don't prosper in this life because you're talented. You don't prosper in this life because you have money. You don't prosper in this life because of your looks or anything else. My prayer is that you prosper in and through this life because you claim Christianity and you live it out as best as you can. And when the world sees us, they may not want what we have, but they'll respect it. But you do it to the end to where one day you hear this statement. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I believe at that moment, if that can be our decision, we might have a chance to see revival again in America like we've never seen. Could you just bow with me just for a second? As the band makes their way out just to lead us, I'm going to ask you again just to stand where you are if you don't mind. Just stand right where you are. I know you've been sitting for a while. James, can I put this right here? Just for that. I want to do two things tonight. And my hope is that maybe somewhere along the line, God was able to get your attention. Not me, but God. So can you do this? Can you just look at me just for a second? Just everybody in the room. I'm going to offer another invitation. Listen, I told you seen 244 people publicly in this room give their lives to Christ and I believe just being honest we might need to see another four or five hundred if we're being truthful in this room I know that tonight my whole heart was the importance of God's word in your life it's because I've come into contact with too many students and too many adults that say wait I read the Bible it's 2,000 years old and it it just doesn't relate to anything that I do, and it rips my heart out because I'm thinking, no way you live this life apart from God's word. It will not happen. But I want you to know this. The reason that James wrote the letter was not just so he could, like, progress them to just live the way they lived. He wrote the letter to get their attention because students... There's got to be a point to where all of this comes together and you're just honest with yourself. I just believe that some of you probably have been in church or around church all of your life. And that can be a beautiful thing, but sometimes you become numb to all of this. I I was talking to a group somewhere along the line because I've hit so many cabins here. But I remember talking to one of the youth ministers and I just said, it's just interesting, we're living in a weird day because I meet 12-year-olds that have rededicated their life 18 times. That's just weird to me. I I just want to say this to you. I'm fine with whatever decision you need to make. The reason I give an invitation for salvation only when I come to a place like this is because the bigger problem that we have is The church word is we are going to rededicate something. Here's what I figured out. 
The word rededication is never in the Bible, Matt. You know that, right? The word repentance is. And it's interesting because here's what I figured out. Rededication is about us. Repentance is about God. You say, what do you mean? You come into a room like this, you feel bad about what you did two weeks ago, and you want to feel better about it, and here's what happens. It's the go-to, right? Lord, I want to rededicate my life. And you want to feel better about it. Here's the deal. You know what repentance means? You don't want to feel better about what you did two weeks ago because you don't want to do it again. And my heart goes out to some people because here is my fear. We've so used that word rededication so much that my fear is there's a lot of people that if you're not careful, you're rededicating going to hell again. Because at some point, you've got to dedicate your life to God. Some of you have just, like, just done a bunch of spiritual things, but you've never given your life to him. And that is what I'm asking you to do tonight. If you're in this place, once again, wait, I know I need to give my life to Christ. Maybe some of you have been dealing with it. Not sure if I die, I go to heaven. Tonight is a night to get it right. And maybe you will see that you will not be perfect, but in the end, that's the point where you make the choice, I want what I'm saying to match up with what I live, and I want these things to come together. So I'm going to pray for us. And man, if you're in this place, and you say, wait, I, I truly need to give my life to Christ in salvation, I'm begging you to come tonight, man. It is the most important decision of your life. So what I said last night, some of you are dealing with it left and right. You're wondering about it, and I've been reminded it. But I'm being serious. You will never, ever passionately live for something you think you got. You won't do it. That's like me in Alabama saying I'm pretty sure I'm an Alabama fan. I'm going to pull for them against Auburn. Do you know what that means? If I'm not sure if I'm an Alabama fan, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull for whoever is winning at the time. There's got to be a point where you give it all. And that's called salvation. And so I'm going to pray. And man, if you're in this place, and you're the only one who knows if something's missing, you, along with maybe two or three hundred more tonight, might finally say, I am sick and tired of living year after year after year, not being sure about my salvation. I'm not going to leave this place tonight without knowing for a fact I have it. And that is my hope. So I'm going to pray. After I pray, band's going to sing. And all you got to do is come down here and meet me at the front. Listen, if you need to run down here, run. I saw somebody coming down with crutches last night. It was a beautiful thing, my man. I saw it and said, yes, but don't miss it tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you love us for free. And I pray that your spirit would roam through this room and you would do what only you can do, and that's draw people to salvation. I don't have a sermon good enough to make somebody want to be saved. The band doesn't have a song good enough to prompt somebody. But you and your spirit, Lord, for adults, for students, for staff, can finally get them to a place to say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to know what I have when I leave this place tonight. So God, we trust you and we give it over to you. Draw people to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray with heads bowed, eyes closed. The band starts to sing. You say, Wade. I've been waiting to make this decision. Start running down this aisle right now. Come meet me right now. Start coming. Let's go. Thanks for listening.